last year. How many people do you know who are non-believers? They have never trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. Well, we're going to try to get the fuel for how we can answer those two questions this morning. And of course, we always look to the Word of God because Jesus is our example in everything. So let's turn to the scriptures, if you would, to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And I'm going to begin in verse 35. So once you get to Matthew, the very first gospel, the very first book of the New Testament, turn to Matthew chapter 9 and please stand if you are able for the reading of God's word. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Father, this is your word. It records for us the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Lord, we want to be like Jesus here at Ashley River. We want to emulate who he is to a community around us people that need to know the Lord. And so, Father, I pray that you will use these words to penetrate our hearts and compel us to action. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning, our call to go really involves four actions that we are to take four actions that we are to take. And I'm going to put them all up on the screen for us, and we're going to walk through them. Whoops. I'm going to go back. There we go. So, first, we want to go where Jesus went. That's mission. Number two, we want to say what Jesus said. That's the message. Number three, we want to see what Jesus saw. That's the model. And then number four, we want to pray like Jesus prayed. That's the method. And so if we understand the big picture here of what our mission as a church is, all we have to do is look to Jesus. Notice what it says there in verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages. Jesus was on a mission. When Jesus was... Uh, began his earthly ministry at the age of 30 years old. He was baptized, and then he began his mission. And the very first words that he said were, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus said, I have come. Jesus is the king, and he came to establish his kingdom. You and I, if we are in Jesus Christ this morning, we're part of the kingdom of God. We're part of the kingdom. We join in with churches the world over who worship and exalt the name of Jesus Christ. We are in 
God's family. We have a mission. And our mission is the same mission that Jesus Christ had. It was so essential. It was so essential to Jesus Christ that he uttered his great co-mission, co-meaning that we partner with him in it, five times in the Gospels and in Acts. Well, later in Matthew chapter 28, most of us know the Great Commission out of Matthew chapter 28. It says this, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, name singular, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, that's the great commission from Jesus in Matthew. But guess what? He also said something similar at the end of Mark. In Mark, he said, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. We are to preach the good news to all creation. He doesn't hold back. He says all people need to hear the gospel, the good news. And then in Luke, in chapter 24, we see these words. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You, he said, are my witnesses. And so then we see in Luke, he is telling them, all nations will hear the good news. Who does he use to do this? The church. He uses us, Ashley River Baptist Church. Jesus was on a mission. And then in John chapter 20, very briefly, he says these words, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. In other words, I had a mission. I have come to accomplish my mission. As he hung on the cross, one of his last words on the cross was, It is finished. My mission was to pay the penalty for sin for all mankind. John the Baptist himself would li literally, right before Jesus was baptized, he would see Jesus coming and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so when Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. I have dealt with sin, the biggest problem that humanity has. And so he says, as the Father has sent me on a mission, now I send you on a co-mission. You are to partner with God to reach your community for Jesus Christ. But then we don't stop there in Acts chapter 1. He then, after 40 days, after his resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days on this earth teaching his disciples and his followers about what? The kingdom. Explaining to them the nature and the purpose and the, ex the vastness of his kingdom and the work. And then in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 it says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Is there any doubt in our minds what Jesus' mission is? It is to use 
the church of Jesus Christ to bring the good news of the kingdom to all men, all women, all children, everywhere. This is our job. It is essential and it is global. Notice the word all. He went to all the towns and villages. Notice in every single time that he gave the Great Commission, it was to all nations, to all people, to all creation. The gospel is for all. And we are all missionaries. Amen. We are all missionaries. We have a part in God's mission. So we are to go where Jesus went. So my question this morning for us is this. Where is God sending you? Since you're a missionary, maybe you're a missionary to your own family, right in your house. Maybe you're a missionary across the street to a neighbor. Maybe you're a missionary down by where your kids go to school. Maybe you're a missionary out in the community as you are serving civic duty in this community. Maybe you're a missionary when you walk down the street and you meet somebody at a coffee shop. Maybe you're a missionary when you go across the globe to another nation that has never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact is, is that we are all missionaries. We are all on mission with Jesus. But then number two, we have to say what Jesus said. Look at what his message was. He had really engaged in three activities. Number one, he was teaching. Number two, he was preaching. And number three, he was healing. Look at what it says there in verse 35, the second part. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Now what's interesting is if you read Matthew, you will find that this particular passage is actually a repeat of an earlier passage. Turn back with me if you want to, to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. Now think of what I just read, verse 35 of Matthew chapter 9, and now listen to the words of Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Do you see the similarity? It is the exact same wording that we read in Matthew chapter 9. Now what's interesting is, is that the author here, Matthew, is helping us to understand that Jesus' ministry is in fact those three activities, and he repeats it in four, Matthew 4 and also in Matthew 9. But then we have to ask ourselves the question, what happens between chapter 4 of Matthew and chapter 9? Well, if you are, have read the Bible very much, you'll know that chapters 5 through 7 is known as the great Sermon on the Mount. Notice what chapter 5 is. It begins with the Beatitudes. He talks to them then after the Beatitudes that they are to be salt and light to a dark world. And then he moves into the fact that he is the fulfillment of the law. 
And then he begins to break down the law and explain to them the fuller measure of what the law was. That he himself is the fulfillment of that law and that he calls on them to follow him. This is him teaching, teaching the Jewish people of that day. And then we turn over to chapter 6 and 7 and now he's talking to even a larger audience and teaching them about the kingdom of God. He is preaching the good news about the kingdom. And then when we get all the way through chapter 7, notice all three chapters of red letters. It's Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. But then beginning in chapter 8, we see where Jesus now, he is, he is, he is taught, he has preached, and now we get to the third piece, he begins to heal. And it sees there, he sees a man with leprosy. In chapter 8, he heals a man with leprosy. He then heals the centurion's servant. Uh, and then he goes on. Um, and he uh, actually heals many, it says in the beginning of verse 14. And then he talks about the cost of following him. And then he calms the storm. He, he does a miracle. And then he heals two demon-possessed men. And then in chapter 9, he heals a paralytic. He calls Matthew, who needed great healing because he was a sinful tax collector. And then he is questioned about fasting, and then he heals a dead girl, and a, or erases a dead girl, and a sick woman. And then he heals the blind and the mute. And it is after this healing, so he has, he has taught, he has preached, and he has healed, and then we come right back to the very mission of Jesus Christ here in chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And it says there that he went into all the villages teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news, and healing every disease and sickness. So the message of Jesus is that he is a proclaimer of the kingdom. Now let me ask you a question. How many times does Jesus refer to the church, ecclesia, in the four gospels? The Greek word for church is ecclesia. How many times? Twice. In Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. Two times we see the Greek word church in the four Gospels. How many times do we hear Jesus Christ mention the kingdom in the four Gospels? 121 times. Jesus came because he is the king. And he came to establish his kingdom. The church is the means, the earthly means, by which the kingdom is realized and it will be actualized fully at the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are all part of the kingdom of God. And so that's why he was talking about the good news of the kingdom. Because the kingdom is not for the here and now. The kingdom is for the yet and forevermore. And here is where we have to understand that Jesus' kingdom, this is what you and I have to understand this morning. When Jesus says the kingdom, it really means his rule and his reign in the hearts of his brothers and sisters. Does Jesus have full rule and reign in your heart? This morning? Does Jesus have 100% of you this morning? 
You see, my heart's cry for this church is that we will be fully mobilized Christians on a singular mission, the Great Commission, to bring the love of Jesus Christ to West Ashley and beyond. That's my heart. This church was built to be on mission for God. There are people sitting in this room right now who have seen the, the amazing moving hand of God down through the years. I am here, I am convinced that the Lord is not done with Ashley River Baptist Church. God is raising up another generation of faithful followers to take the good news everywhere. Are you part of that generation? Join God in working. Recognize and see where he's moving. And then join him in that effort. Jesus healed every sickness and disease. Do you realize the greatest sickness, the greatest disease, the greatest problem that all of humankind has? Sin. Sin. They don't recognize it. Or they don't want to admit it. But it's sin. And if we don't, if we're not careful, we'll start pointing out people who have sin in their lives, and we will be like Jesus talked about, where we have a log in our eye, we can't see the speck in someone else's eye. Oh, Christian, this morning, if you're sitting here this morning, remember the day of your salvation. Remember the day in which Jesus called you out of your sinful state. Have such grace and mercy and compassion on those around you, because you yourself were once in that place. That's Jesus' word to us. So not only are we to go where Jesus went and we are to say what Jesus said, which of course is the good news. And we know what the good news is. The good news is this, is that Jesus, Jesus, he died to pay for our sin. He died to cancel the debt, to redeem us. And because he died, for our sin. We who are sinful. All of humans are sinful. He did that work. And then he was raised on the third day. And when he was raised. God exalted him to the highest place. And he is coming again. To judge the living and the dead. The good news is that those who are in Christ. Jesus says this one is mine. And God says not guilty. And we enter into eternal heaven with him. This is what Fanny uh, was talking about when she wrote those beautiful words that the choir sang this morning. She wants to finally see her Savior face to face. For all who are in Christ, we get the opportunity to see Jesus face to face. How many people do you know how many people do you love? How many people can you tell that they too, one day, will be able to see Jesus face to face? This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what we're called to go do. But then number three, we are to see what Jesus saw. 
It's the model. Look at what it says there in the verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless. Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. For those who were in Sunday school this morning and were actually studying in Jonah, <laughs> I couldn't believe it that this passage, uh, this passage that I've chosen weeks ago, I had no idea that we would be learning about Jonah in Sunday school this morning. I saw a sat in Scott uh, Ryan's class, and Jonah was actually upset with God because he had compassion on the Ninevites. And it's interesting because we, we, we look at that particular book, it's only four chapters long, and there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. We tend to want to prejudge people. We tend to want to say, you know what, they're not worth God's grace. We tend to put that in, we may not consciously think this, but our behavior demonstrates it. And it's interesting because as I look at the life of Jonah, one of the fascinating things about that book is that it ends on the cliffhanger. It's, it's like there's no ending to it. It only literally says, God is saying, Jonah, what? You, you have no right to be angry. I wanted you to go to a people you didn't think were worth saving so that I could demonstrate my gracious and loving kindness and forbearance on their sin. My question for you is this. In the New Testament, who is the Jonah? It's the Pharisees, the religious elite, who look down their nose at sinners and tax collectors, at the Gentiles who were unclean to them. Who were the Ninevites, those sinners, those tax collectors, those Gentiles? In our day, Who's the Jonah? In our day, who is the one who is prejudging people? In our day, who are the Ninevites? Friends, we have people living within a stone's throw of this church that just need to hear a positive, encouraging, I love you from the church. Can you be a part of God's mission. Look at how Jesus characterizes people. He has compassion on them, which literally means to suffer along with, to suffer along with, to have empathy. And then it says, because they were harassed and helpless. The word harassed there is an interesting Greek word. It literally means skolo, or the word is skolo. And it literally means to be mangled or torn apart or cut to the bone. That people are mangled and torn apart and cut to the bone by their own sin state, by the fallenness of humankind. And then he says they are helpless. They are helpless. The word there, the Greek word, is ripto, thrown to the ground, unable to defend oneself, lacking power to defend oneself or fix one's problems. Literally, it is someone who is so overwhelmed by life that they can't figure it out. Stacy 
was in her backyard doing some yard work on a Saturday afternoon. And she looked over the fence and she saw her neighbor, a young mother of three kids, very young ages, really having a difficult time. How many of you moms or dads can relate to children sometimes when giving you a difficult time? So she watched for a few minutes and she could tell that the mom was really at her wit's end. Never one to interfere. She came up with all kinds of reasons why she shouldn't go and interfere in her neighbor's business. After all, you're supposed to just leave your neighbors alone. But the prompting of the Holy Spirit was so strong on her heart that she just could not resist it any longer. And so she just reluctantly walked over to the fence. And she called out to her neighbor by name and said, listen, it looks like you're having a, a, a tough day today. She said, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe you'll let me just watch over your kids for the next hour or so while you go inside and take a nap or a bath or whatever you want to do to just kind of chill out. All of a sudden, her neighbor started crying, weeping, and explaining how stressful her life had been over the last several weeks and months. You know, Stacy had no idea what was going on in this family's life, but somehow that simple gesture brought to the surface all of the hurt, all of the pain, all of the struggle, all of the strain of her neighbor. She accepted the offer and went inside, and, and Stacy watched the kids and tried to play with them in the backyard. An hour later, the neighbor comes back down and Thanks, Stacy, profusely. Knowing that she's a Christian, she said, you know, Stacy, I gotta, I've been meaning to ask you. I would love to know how your faith is such an important part of your life. Would you be willing to come over tomorrow afternoon and share with me how you make it through difficult times? Stacy was kind of taken aback, and she was like, I don't. Well, I, I, I guess I can. Yeah, I can come over and just kind of share my faith, where I go to church and all of that. And she said, I would love that if you don't mind. Well, Stacy was very reluctant, but she immediately said yes and then went to the Lord in prayer and said, oh, Lord, what have I done? <laughs> now I've got to share my faith with this neighbor that I've known for years, but now I'm a little, I feel ill-prepared. I feel like I'm not ready to do this. But Lord, I'm going to try to be faithful. And so she prepared that next Sunday, that next morning, Sunday morning, as she went to church to ask several friends to pray for her, that she might have the right words to share to encourage her neighbor. As she was getting ready to leave for church, there was a knock at her door. It was her neighbor. And she said, I hope you don't mind, but I've invited a few friends to come over this afternoon and hear what you have to say about your faith. Stacy then prayed hard during church, and she was feeling a little overwhelmed by the idea, but that afternoon at about four o'clock, Stacy was able to see God change the hearts of three of those ladies that afternoon, and they gave their life to Jesus Christ. Amen. That is a true story. That is a true story. And most of us are sitting in this room going, well, that probably would never happen for me. How do you know? 
How do you know? All we're called to do is to be a vessel. All we're called to do is listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to our heart to say a kind word on behalf of Jesus Christ. People, everybody in this room can be used for the kingdom because it's not about you. You see, Paul says this. I was the one who planted. Apollos is the one who watered. But God gives the increase. It is God who does the work. Our job is just to be faithful servants. Jesus had compassion on the people. It says here, we are all like sheep without a shepherd. We're all like sheep without a shepherd. I wonder why that particular metaphor is used for us, sheep. Well, number one, I did a lot of homework because I'm not a farmer and I'm certainly not a sheep herder. But I did a lot of work on this. And what, what I found is this, is that sheep are prone to wander. Are you a wandering generality or a meaningful, specific on mission for God? We're prone to wander. Sheep are also prone to blindly follow the crowd. In fact, it's been known that sheep, if one will wander off, the rest of them will follow in tail. And if one goes right over the side of a cliff, guess what? All of the rest of them will go off the cliff with them. We are prone to blindly following the crowd. Isn't that kind of how it is in our world today? In addition to that, they follow winding paths. Have you ever wondered that? Sheep follow a winding, winding path because they're always worried about where they came from and where they're going. Number four, they need a shepherd to nourish them, to give them pasture and water. Sheep can't feed themselves. Sheep can't take care of themselves. They need a shepherd. Number five, they are prone to attack. Sheep are very defenseless. They can't defend themselves. And God himself is our defense. God himself is our shepherd. God is the one who protects us. And then lastly, we are prone to get spooked when something happens and we easily take off. You know, we as sheep have all gone astray. But thank goodness that God has provided the good shepherd. And because we know his voice... And he calls. What do we do? We follow. We follow. And Jesus wanted the people to follow him. He saw them as sheep who were harassed and helpless, but he had compassion on them. So not only are we to go where Jesus went and say what Jesus said and see what Jesus saw, we are finally to pray like Jesus prayed. Look at what it says in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus is asking us to pray. To pray to the Lord of the harvest. The Lord of the harvest is God. God is the Lord of the harvest. And we are to pray to God for opportunities to share a good word, to be a part of his harvest to come. That's why we're in a season of harvest as a church. We have to do two things. We have to work and we have to witness. God directs us to work. That is to pray to him. Ask God to give us opportunities to share a good word. And we are to witness. Witnessing, literally, the word witness, marturio, literally means Martyr. Martyr. This is where we get the word martyr from. 
They are witnesses of the power of God in their lives, and they were martyrs for the faith. God is asking us to lay down our lives for him, to be a martyr for him, to go out and get uncomfortable and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because God sees every person as someone who is created in his image. We are to witness. It really is two words, invest and invite. Just like Stacy did, she invested. She invested time. She invested effort. She invested of herself into a life of another person. You realize that witnessing is not easy. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes a decision. We all have to take a little bit of time and say, Lord, use me today. We have to invest and invite. Invite them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't do that on the first conversation. You may, depending on where they are. But the Spirit of God is moving. And if the Spirit of God is moving in the hearts of a person, and we are called by the Holy Spirit to go and say a good word on behalf of Christ to them, then we must go. We must be following the Spirit's lead. That's what God calls us to do. And so therefore, we have to work and we have to witness, and that witness is an investment and an invitation. That's why we give an invitation after the end of every sermon. We give an invitation because we never know where God is working in the hearts of people who've chosen to come into this house of worship. That's why we go out and we tell people about Jesus Christ. So there's an application here. God's mission is really simple. We are to make disciples of all nations. That's our job. That's all we are here for. You know, I'm convinced, I'm even persuaded that God has paired us back, pruned us back as a church family so that we will be, we will feel a sense of urgency of getting back on mission for him. That's my belief. And I believe that this family of faith is ready to take that step. Just remember the acrostic plant. Plant. P-L-A-N-T. Turn over in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4 and we'll finish up with these words. Colossians chapter 4. This is a, uh, a, the final words of the Apostle Paul to the Colossians. Chapter 4 of Colossians. Look at what it says there in verse 2 to 6. 2 to 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Folks, we can take what Paul's words here are and we can apply it to our daily living in Jesus Christ. Number one, we are to pray. Look at what he says there. And pray for us too that we, that God may open a door for our message. We are to pray. Number two, we are to look. 
Look at what Jesus did. He saw the crowds. You have to be observant. You have to be looking for people that are not in your current sphere of influence or your current friendship ring. Look outward beyond your friends and family who are already in the kingdom. Look for those who are not yet in the kingdom. Number three, we are to ask. Ask questions. Be inquisitive. You know, you never understand really where a person's theology comes from or what they think about certain aspects of Christianity until you ask them. You know, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to have sin in your life? Ask them questions like that. These are opportunities for you to learn where they are in their spiritual journey. And then fourthly, you need to nurture that relationship. You know, friends, this is probably the area where most of us struggle. I personally struggle in this. I'm a busy guy. I've got a lot going on. And sometimes I make a decision that is not of the Lord, but I'll say, I just don't have time for that, you know? And so we, we try to cut off where God is working in our lives. Can I just ask all of us to find time in our schedule to invest and invite one person, one person that is not in the kingdom of God. Nurture that relationship. And then lastly, tell them. Tell them your story of how you came to Christ and what your life has been like since you've connected to Christ. But then also tell them his story, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. When you think about planning, you have to pray, pray for opportunities, look for opportunities, ask questions, nurture the relationship, and then tell. Tell them the great news of the kingdom. Can we all do that? Can we all do that? And I'm, I'm trusting that all of us will take that uncomfortable step of investing and inviting into a relationship in our lives. You know, we have something coming up where it's easy to invite them. It's the Community Fall Festival. This is your opportunity to do so. So I'm going to pray, we're going to sing, and you're going to respond. And when you respond, we're going to respond as one church family. It's our opportunity to show God, use us. We want to be like Isaiah. Here am I, send me, is what Isaiah would say. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege. And we are also in awe of the responsibility of being on mission with you. Father, we don't want to run ahead of you. We don't want to ignore you. We don't want to turn our back on you as Jonah did. We want to be faithful. Father, we know that many of us in this room are uncomfortable sharing our faith. But Lord, we know this truth, that it's your Holy Spirit that works in the hearts of those we're talking with. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts them of their sin and their need for a Savior. And it is you who saves them. So, Lord, all we are to be is willing and able vessels. Not able in our own strength, but able because you're the one who calls. Lord, you don't call the qualified, you qualified the call. And so, Father, we're called to go. I pray, Lord, that you will help us as a church go and be on mission for Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You know, if you're in this room, you can stand. If you're in this room this morning and you want to join this church, be a part of the mission that God has given Ashley River, you 
can come forward and join. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're in this room and going, you know, I've heard the story about him, but I don't know him. He's not my Savior. This is your opportunity to respond to him today. Today is the day of salvation for you. And then lastly, if you want to be a part of really helping us understand how to reach our community, this is your opportunity to start praying right in your seat or up here on the altar for you to think about opportunities where God can use you. So let's stand and, and we'll sing this hymn of invitation from Fanny Crosby. And then after